2020 marks the 200th birthday of Florence Nightingale, the statistician and founder of modern nursing whose heroics saved countless lives during the Crimean War and created a model for nursing today. This May is also National Nurses Month, which the American Nurses Association declared to reflect on and celebrate the important work that nurses and midwives do here in Ohio, across the U.S., and around the world. This is Prognosis Ohio. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. Hey folks, on today's episode at a time when nurses continue to display heroics amidst the ongoing pandemic, we stop to talk with three nurses who play critical roles at the Ohio State College of Nursing. We do this, however, against a grim backdrop, not only as the United States approaches its 100,000th documented coronavirus death, but at the end of a week when yet another nurse in Ohio's correctional system has died from COVID-19. Bernard Ada of Galena, age 61, contracted the coronavirus during the course of his work caring for inmates at the Corrections Reception Center in Orient, Ohio. We've been trying to pull together an episode on the situation in Ohio's prisons for a while, but the death of Nurse Ada provides us one window into the tragic and unacceptable situation there. We offer this episode in memory of Nurse Bernard Ada, and we're going to be providing some links so you can learn more about him and his life in our show notes. Let's let Nurse Ada's life and his death serve as a reminder of the important work that nurses do, oftentimes under difficult conditions, but also as a reminder that we need to do more to honor and to protect them. As always, before turning to my conversation with today's guests, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts, and consider following us on Twitter at at prognosisohio. Also, if you have ideas for show themes or interviews, please don't hesitate to email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Listeners have provided some great ideas for guests, and we've already had a few of them on the show. As you may also know, we have a Patreon account. Please consider becoming a Patreon and contributing a few bucks so we can continue to grow the show, spotlighting important health and healthcare issues here in the great state of Ohio. Visit patreon.com slash prognosisohio to chip in three bucks a month and become a Prognosis Ohio Patreon. That's patreon.com slash prognosisohio. And thanks. Dr. Bernadette Melnick is recognized nationally and globally for her clinical knowledge and her innovative approaches to a wide range of healthcare challenges. Currently at The Ohio State University, she serves as Vice President for Health Promotion, University Chief Wellness Officer, and Professor and Dean of the College of Nursing. She's also a Professor of Pediatrics and Psychiatry at OSU's College of Medicine. As Chief Wellness Officer, Dr. Melnick is currently serving as part of OSU's post-pandemic task force, which is planning for the reopening of OSU's campuses in the fall. We talk about this a little bit toward the end of our conversation. We also talked with Dr. Angela Alston, who's among other things, Assistant Professor of Clinical Practice, Executive Director of Faculty Practice and Entrepreneurship, and Chief Diversity Officer at the OSU College of Nursing. In addition to her Doctorate of Nursing Practice, Dr. Alston holds a Master's in Public Health. And last but not least, we talked with Dr. Candy Reinhardt, also a doctor of nursing practice. Dr. Reinhardt is the CEO and clinic director, as well as a primary care family nurse practitioner at OSU's Federally Qualified Health Center, located at the OSU Wexner Medical Center East Hospital. This is just a snapshot of our guests' extensive profiles and credentials. They have more degrees and accomplishments that we can review here, so we'll be linking to their longer profiles in the show notes. Be sure to check those out. Well, uh, everybody, I'd like to thank you so much for joining me on Prognosis Ohio. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you. So, so I thought if we could you know, start the conversation, as I like to do, especially during this time of 
public health emergency where most of us are negotiating some mixture of doing our work and living our lives and staying at home and doing our part. I thought we could just talk a little bit about nursing and nurses generally uh, during this health crisis to start to open the conversation. I, I wonder, I, and I'll put this to to Dr. Melnick, to Byrne, how do you think that nurses as a whole are doing at this point? I mean, are their needs being adequately addressed? Are they getting their due? How are nurses doing? I think that overall nurses are so committed to patient care and they want to do everything they can to improve people's lives through this pandemic. But even before the pandemic happened, we had a public health epidemic in nurses and physicians in terms of burnout, depression, and suicide. And in this pandemic, we are seeing an increased prevalence of stress, of anxiety, of depression, post-traumatic stress disorder. So although they are still doing a fantastic job caring for their patients, there is suffering that is occurring as a result. You know, it strikes me, um, we, we've seen you know military jet flyovers and we've seen people going outside and applauding healthcare professionals, but people who work in the health professions have also raised the issue of you know, what does it mean to really take care of the healthcare workforce or to really celebrate or to respect the healthcare workforce? I mean, do you think that this conversation is changing what that means and maybe deepening it in some way? I think, Dan, that it is deepening it. As you see on the media, everybody is so grateful and thankful to our healthcare workforce. But I think this is a lesson learned. We need to pay more attention to the mental and physical well being of our care providers. This needed to happen prior to the pandemic. Institutions must invest in establishing wellness cultures, providing evidence-based screening and interventions for our nurses, our doctors, our other healthcare providers. Because if they are not in good mental and physical care, research has shown that it will adversely impact quality and safety of healthcare. Now, I know that uh, the OSU College of Nursing is also working with an organization called Trusted Health, if I have that correct. Uh, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about what you're doing to support the mental and emotional well-being of of nurses, but also the the students that you work with who are uh, on their way to becoming nursing professionals. Yes, we are very steeped in a wellness culture at Ohio State. 
We integrate wellness throughout our curriculum. We have a paradigm that our curriculum is based on. It is called Live Well because nurses do a great job of caring for everybody else, but they often do not prioritize their own self-care. This partnership with Trusted Health is fabulous. So what our College of Nursing is currently doing, we are providing an emotional support line for nurses on the front lines in New York City, in places like Detroit. But the other very innovative piece of this partnership in about a week, we are launching what's called a wellness support partner program. Our nurse practitioner students will be serving as wellness coaches for four to eight weeks for these nurses on the front lines, helping them to deal with their stress, their anxiety, and to engage in healthy lifestyle behaviors. Yeah, I'm sure that listeners are going to want to know some more about this. So we'll, we'll be sure to include some links in our show notes so they can follow up on it and do a little bit of a deeper dive. But that sounds really amazing. And I know at the medical school where I work, for example, and in our health professions programs of all sorts at Ohio University, similar conversations are happening with different schools are innovating and partnering in different ways. I wonder if I can pose a question to Candy Reinhardt um, and, and talk a little bit about kind of building on that. How has this experience of the past few months got you thinking about the future of your program and and the clinic that you direct? Uh, you know, for example, I know that we've learned a lot at at Ohio University about you know how do we get a curriculum up and running online in a matter of weeks. Clinical education has challenges um, that are unique to it in the virtual space. So what, what are some of the lessons that you're learning and what, what do you think you're going to take forward from this? I think that the most successful people are going to be the most flexible people because that's what is required um, for us in the past few months. You know, we took uh, 10 years worth of moving to total telehealth and did it in a matter of 10 days and started providing care that we, we could have been. I, I think a lot of people need to realize we could have been delivering care this way. It just wasn't reimbursable. So we had the uh, technology uh, and it was just a matter of acknowledging that we were going to be reimbursed for it and that this is the way it was the safest and best way to care for our patients. And so um, getting through all of that, then our next step was, how are we going to educate our future nurses, advanced practice nurses? And that is still an ongoing challenge because to give them the true clinical experience that they would have within the clinic setting. So we are still challenged by that, working hard to accomplish that every day. I would say that in the future, we will be teaching telehealth that we've never done before. And, yeah. 
And in that way, and even the fact to teach about a pandemic, I, I don't remember that in my uh, nursing program that we ever learned about what our response would be to a pandemic. So all those things need to be brought into our program so to prepare uh, our future nurses, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing if we're not learning from and using this moment to think deeply about public health, to think about how health professionals of all sorts, you know, what the roles they can play in a moment mm -hmm. like this. Uh, nursing, you know, other other health professionals is so hands-on so much of it. So the idea of, of working in that virtual space is very hard for a lot of people to imagine. Like, how do you do that and still do your thing? At the same time, the ideas are really churning right now. We should be rethinking just our, our very disposition toward this stuff. And the patient's response to it too. I joke that we'll never get them to come back in again. They'll just say, call me because they, they, they're enjoying it too. Now they'll still say, I miss seeing you. You know, I can't wait till things get a little bit back to normal, but they've, the patients have also adapted and um, we, we are able to make them feel cared for even in, in this setting where we're just all one dimensional, but we're still part of each other's lives, that's for sure. You know, I would like to turn to Angela Alston now. And, you know, as a chief diversity officer at the college, I wonder if you, you know, COVID-19 has exposed a lot of disparity in healthcare. And um, I know that, you know, this conversation has been rod for a while. Here in Ohio, we have massive disparity that preceded COVID, uh, infant mortality, maternal mortality, life expectancy, all sorts of things that we've talked about on the show as well. What role do you think the next generation of nurses are going to play, have to play in addressing disparity? Like, what do nurses bring to this conversation? Sure. Thank you, Dan, for that question. I believe it's important for all members of the healthcare team, including nurses, to understand the realities of health disparities that undoubtedly exist in our communities, including our local communities, nationally and globally. At The Ohio State University, we've included implicit or unconscious bias training as a requirement for our college. And I personally recommend regular trainings such as these to help individuals recognize opportunities that may exist for growth and development to ensure equitable practices are carried out. It's really important for colleges of nursing to intentionally seek to recruit and train a workforce that mirrors the population that they're serving and really look to utilize creativity in helping to ensure these nurses that they're bringing in help to broaden the thinking of their colleagues using evidence-based strategies to promote learning. The root of disparities, Dan, as you know, runs really deep. And so this is an area that's going to require concerted efforts and accountability must absolutely be part of the solution strategy. And all nurses have a role in that. Prognosis Ohio listeners know that we often try to shine some light on good work being done to promote health and support those doing good work in our community. The Ohio Nurses Association and the Ohio Nurses Foundation have teamed up with the public in showing support for nurses working on the front lines of the COVID-19 response. Through an Amazon wish list and t-shirt sales, among other things, the two organizations have undertaken to send hundreds of care packages to Ohio's nurses. To find out how you can contribute to this effort, visit my.ohnurses.org donate. That's my.ohnurses.org slash donate, or just go to the link in our show notes at wcbe.org. Thanks.
Yeah, I really appreciate, uh, Angela, that you mentioned your ongoing training um, <laughs> around bias, right? The fact that like, this is not a one and done. Um, I have my certification. I'm, you know, off to off to work. You know, I it, it, this is something that we need to constantly engage in different ways. Even with COVID, like I mentioned, we already knew that disparity was was a problem in Ohio, but now we're seeing differential policing, for example, around social distancing laws. Mm-hmm. Right, we're seeing certain neighborhoods uh, being policed more than others, and the way in which we have to learn to observe new ways in which disparity presents itself. Is part of what you educate nurses to do at OSU about treating them to kind of be nimble in that way to respond to changes in healthcare? So I think the I think the recognition is really important. You know, everyone has a role to play when we think about disparities. And I think that some of the challenges that we see is helping those who may not identify with a certain population or group of persons to recognize how they can still continue to be an ally to help support the work that needs to occur in whatever the marginalized population may be. And so as a part of academic curriculums, really important that students get experience to these opportunities, which we are providing in our college. And as you mentioned, Dan, it can't be a one and done philosophy. It needs to be ongoing. And so the experiences that they're getting in the classroom setting, as well as really diving deeper into some of the experiences that they're getting when they're in the clinical setting is really going to help to make a difference in how they're going to ultimately help to manage these disparities that they're going to see in the populations that they will serve. Yeah, I wonder how also when you think about nursing and, and healthcare generally moving forward, uh, mass unemployment, um, the emotional and mental distress that so many people are feeling right now, um, there are just layers and layers that require rethinking what it even means to be a health professional in many ways. I think 20 years ago, it was a little bit of a different question. At least that's what educators tell me when I wasn't at a medical school, for example, 20 years ago, but I, I think a lot's changed. I wonder, you know, is, is this, is this kind of the new reality or is everybody sort of adapting to this and how, how has your program changed uh, to, to meet these different needs? Dan, I think I really want to emphasize that sadly, we still live in a very sick care-focused healthcare system. And we've got to change this paradigm from sick care to more well care. One out of two people in this country have a chronic disease, yet 80% of chronic disease is totally preventable with just a few healthy lifestyle behaviors, like 30 minutes of physical activity five days a week, minimum of five fruits and vegetables a day, don't smoke, sleep at least seven hours a night, and practice stress reduction. If we could get everyone to just do those behaviors, we could so 
almost wipe out chronic disease in this country. You know, we've been doing some good refinements in our curricula. For instance, I encourage our nurse practitioner students to write prescriptions for physical activity, for five fruits and veggies a day, for stress reduction, like mindfulness and cognitive behavioral skills building. We just don't have enough emphasis on well and preventive care. That needs to ramp up so much more in our country. And our curricula has to get better at focusing on what can improve these population health outcomes. And what you're pointing to kind of reminds me that nurses and physicians and everybody who's part of a healthcare team needs to think of themselves as a member of a public health community, that their job is to not just, you know, give specific advice to a patient, but to also help that patient and the people around that patient, their families, the, the, the broader community to learn what to do. You know, as, as you're talking, for example, I'm realizing I was kind of ticking the boxes off in my head. I, I don't smoke. Did I eat enough fruits and vegetables today? Like reminding one another of these things is really important because we get on with our day and we forget. And that's a really important role for any health care professional to play. Right. And especially in the pandemic, yes, mental health issues are going to skyrocket. But we can't forget about healthy lifestyle behaviors as well that are so critical to keeping our immune systems boosted. So even if we contract COVID-19, we're going to be able to deal with it much more effectively. So I just have one final question, and this has been really fantastic. We could talk for hours, I'm sure. There's uh, no uh, lack of questions that uh, we could address. But, you know, we've been through these last few months, and I know with a lot of healthcare professionals I, I talk with, it was really eye-opening seeing the problems we had with personal protective equipment, so-called PPE. I don't think a lot of people knew that this was a problem. Uh, we learned that it was a problem at a really bad time when people were extremely vulnerable, especially our frontline workers, including many nurses. Um, I wonder if you can you know, talk, uh, and I address this to Candy, um, or Byrne, or Angela, any of you, um, do you think our experience with COVID-19 changes the conversation about resources? How do you see your students becoming involved in this conversation as they envision themselves maybe even in solidarity with people who are already on the floor, um, you know, they envision themselves being that vulnerable person, or maybe some of them already are that vulnerable uh, healthcare worker. Well, I, I, I think that um, this whole public health concept is something that wasn't well understood by, by many uh, prior to this, or even being responsible for making sure the public and um, each other are, are, are safe. So I'm thinking moving forward, I have to say at Ohio State, I can only tell you how much I admire the way uh, things 
were were managed from from the very beginning. How we just we were prepared. Um, I think better than most anybody I know. But still, it wasn't the it wasn't the thought of the nurses that oh, do we have enough PPE in case we have a pandemic? I think it's just going to bring it all to the forefront that having that isn't somebody else's responsibility. It's our responsibility to know that this could happen. There could be a public health crisis at any time and that we all need to be responsible for managing that. We have not gone without in our clinic. We've been prepared. We shared uh, some of our supplies to make sure that everyone was prepared. But again, I think it just brought to the forefront that it's not something that, oh, we hope we do, we'll all be um, conscientious of it and, and know that this is a part of our role is that we are prepared. Yeah, no, that's really well put. I know that I, I talk with my students who, you know, as they think about things like residency, um, it's one of the questions I would ask if I were interviewing for a residency program as a, a new medical school graduate, and I'm guessing nursing students may be in a similar situation. I, I would want to know, what, what did this institution do? How did you handle that? What did you learn from COVID? Mm-hmm. Because if you're thinking about you know spending your life, like a part of your professional life there, that would be really important to know. I agree. So it's everybody's responsibility to care for each other and look out for each other now. I'd like to just pose one final question to you, and I, I, this is really to Byrne, because Byrne, I know you're involved with um, the committee that uh, President Drake has established to think about what's what's necessary to reopen the campus. I wonder if you have anything you want to add just about what what are your what, what's on your list of things that you worry about that you are addressing that you're thinking about these days. We addressed a very comprehensive list. Uh, in our work and our scientific advisory panel was really charged with looking at all of the evidence surrounding multiple issues from testing to classroom space to PPE. But I think what we've done, Dan, better than most places, we also incorporated a goal to make sure we support, enhance, and sustain the mental health and well-being of our students, faculty, and staff. And so we are putting forward our evidence-based recommendations now, and I'm sure you've seen the media. Ohio State will be prepared to announce our plan by June 15th. That's fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing. I know that's going to be something that you're going to be addressing um, on a week-to-week basis and and following data closely and all these things that we're all doing. It feels like every week is what we used to call a month in terms of the experience of it and just how fast information changes. So I, I, I appreciate you sharing that with me. You know, on the 200th uh, anniversary of Florence Nightingale's uh, birthday, uh, I just really appreciate taking some time to talk about the work you do about your students, about your profession, and 
you know, I look forward to many more conversations in the future. So I just want to thank you, Dr. Melanick, Dr. Alston, and Dr. Reinhardt for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My many thanks to our guests for joining us and for the important work that they do. A special thanks to Phil Saken at the OSU College of Nursing for setting up the conversation. He's been great to work with. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark France. You can find show notes for this episode on WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org. It's under the podcast experience tab. Please take a minute to subscribe to Prognosis Ohio, follow us on Twitter at at Prognosis Ohio, and friend us on Facebook. We also have an Instagram account now. As always, we encourage you to email us your suggestions and your feedback at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Take care of yourself and take care of others. Thanks.